Christ Forming the Church, is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his 11th message, All in Common. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, and it reads as follows. And all those who had believed were together, and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. And now, let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his 11th message, entitled, All in Common, as he continues his series, Christ Forming the Church. Well, if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that we have been spending this year on relationships, especially about how the Spirit of Christ, more recently, we've been talking about how the Spirit of Christ built relationships in the first century church, assuming that he who is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever will want to build those relationships in the same way in the 20th century church. Now, let me read this morning's scripture text to you so that you can get an idea of what we're about to show you. This is a description of the first century congregation and of a dynamic in that congregation. And all those who had believed were together and all had, uh, I'm sorry, and had all things in common. Remember that phrase. And had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now we're going to stand in the tradition of the prophets this morning who demonstrated out of their contemporary situation eternal spiritual principles. What would this principle look like in the late 20th century? Well, we're going to give you a glimpse into a scene. It'll be a bit of a stretch, but uh, that's why you come to Northland to get stretched a little bit. <laughs> and want you to discern from just the little bit that you see what was in the first century church and what ought to still be in the church today. So anyway, the guy says to the Pharisee, okay, you wouldn't even know how to spell ACLU. <laughs> how do you spell it? Oh, 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 hey, I got one for you. How many Christians does it take to screw in a light bulb? Okay, how many? Ten. One to actually do it, and nine to pray about whether or not to get involved. Oh, my. I hate that one. Honey, we're almost out of soda. So let's get some more. I'm with you all the way, but we're out of money. I had no idea the party was going to last this long. I know, isn't this great? Yeah. I know. I'll sell all my jewelry. Sounds great. That, that should be at least enough for some chips, right? Yeah. See you later. Hey, Ron, man, I think your CD player just died. Oh, hey, listen, I live right across the street. I'll just go get mine. Oh, yeah! Hey, wow! What a girl! Oh, yeah! Hey, did anybody right. here order a party pack? Pizza! Pizza! How much do I owe you? Uh, fifty-two fifty. Oh man, I only got forty bucks. Oh, man, I got oh, okay, great! He's gonna kick in everything. Here we go. All right, keep the change, pal. Ooh, oh, hey, thanks. Let's eat. Good here. Yeah. Hey, y'all, I'm getting tired, but I don't want to go home yet. Well, uh, I got sleeping bags in my car. Sleeping bags. 
Okay, good. Then grab the food. Let's bring it with us. Hey, get the car out of there. Hey, do I get the sweep on the oil spot, though? I told you to be a stretch. I told you to be a stretch. But it's not as much of a stretch as you might think. Do you know that the birth of the church came in the middle of a festival? Do you know that people had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Pentecost, the first fruits. That was a that was a tremendous celebration in Judaism. Still is. And people from all over the parts of the Roman Empire would converge, hundreds, thousands would converge on the city of Jerusalem to come and celebrate the provision of God. And yes, they would have very serious prayer together. And yes, they would confess. And yes, they would have sacrifices. But they also had tremendous, joyful celebration. Well, let me set for you the scene of why they were assembled together and had to begin selling their goods for one another in order to support these wonderful visitors. You see, when these... Uh, journeymen came in. When these countrymen came into the city, there weren't any hotels. People who visited Jerusalem stayed in the houses of Jewish people. Now, it wasn't really an option, if you were a Jew, whether or not to be hospitable to not only another Jew, but to any stranger in general. It was mandated in the Old Testament. It was a law of God. And it was the character then, the law, to say... Yes, you will provide for the visitors to your city for as long as they're there. As a matter of fact, there's a passage in Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 35, that speaks about this dynamic. Let me read just a little bit of that to you. Now, in case a countryman of yours becomes poor, (laughs) I'll explain that to you in a minute, and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God that your countrymen may live with you. There's that phrase again. You shall not give him your silver at interest, nor your food nor for gain. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and so on and so forth. In other words, you were people I took care of on a journey. You take care of other people on a journey. Now, let me set the scene for you one more time. Here are all of these people. They are now living in the houses of the Jews. The Jews knew they were coming. It is an annual feast, the Pentecost feast. They were prepared to keep people for a little while. For a little while. You know, people would come in and they'd stay a week or two. They'd celebrate the festival. And then they'd go home because they had family at home. They had businesses at home they needed to take care of. But on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit came. And something happened. And nobody wanted to leave. People began to be converted to the faith by the thousands. And when these people placed their lives in Jesus Christ. And when they saw, 
as we saw in the last verse, that there were great signs and great wonders and, and, and there was a tremendous movement of God going on, you think they wanted to go home? They didn't want to go home. And so they stayed. Now, they were only prepared financially to stay a week or two. And so there they were, and it was responsibility of the host to provide for them, not just of a couple that would come. As we saw, as we showed you in the scene here, there were families that came. There were kids that came. And so there they were, and it was responsibility for them to keep them for as long as they wanted to stay. And so they began to sell their things. Now, you might think, as American, what an imposition that must have been. And you're right. But don't jump to the conclusion that it was a great burden. Because there was something of worth there that doesn't come with the usual visitor who just comes and stays. Anytime God is doing tremendous things in a relationship, the financial sacrifices become truly secondary. We didn't know how to show the excitement other than a party. That's the closest, closest analogy we have. We didn't know how to show you the, the ongoing, uh, joyful sacrifices that people made for each other every day other than this way. But I want you to know they made it, and I want you to know why they made it. If you will turn to Matthew chapter 13, you will see a good part of the answer. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us many analogies for the kingdom of God. Jesus used word pictures all the time, used parables all the time. Now, the kingdom of God is, is that group of people in which God rules, in which God is king. And he said this, as is recorded in verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. Now people, you all seek things of value all your lives. And one of the main things you seek, and one of the most important things all of us seek, is a fine relationship. From the time we're little, we want someone who we can love and who will love us. We want those relationships that go beyond just, um, you know, casual friendships. We want the, we want people who will be bonded to us at the soul. We want people who understand us. We want people who we can love and give to and, and be, and be valued by. We want those reciprocal um, um, abundant, benevolent relationships. But there are so few people who ever find an abundance of those. Most people stay one step ahead of loneliness, if that. Most people settle for relationships that will just get them by in this world, giving them an emotional support to go on just, just enough for the next week. Can you imagine what it meant then for these people to come into this relationship where God was moving and where they it began to dawn on them that they would be together forever, that God was making history here in a whole new way, and that there was a link there that they had never found in any of their other relationships? Well, I'll tell you what it was like. In verse 46 it says, And upon finding one pearl, 
of great value. One kind of relationship of great value. He went and sold all that he had and bought it. Was it costly? Yes. Was it a frustrating burden? No. When you realize how God is blessing you, when we realize how God is blessing us here, someday I want to just take four weeks and just have four weeks of testimony. I, you cannot believe what's happening in this church. I, I, and I hope that, that eventually it'll seep through all of your relationships that you hear what is God is doing in this church. The first century church doesn't have anything on the late 20th century church as God moves. You know what? When I see a kid get up and explain to you what is happening in the youth group, you, you, only, you only just saw a brief description of this. Let me give you a little bit fuller picture of the process here. These lug groups, living under God, by the way, that stands for. They, they did that so that they could call the high school leaders lugheads. <laughs> These living under God groups are a quantum leap from the usual church group program. I have watched Vernon Rainwater pour his life into these kids for eight years. And I've watched him and the cumulative effect over the, over the last, that's close to nine years now, it has been nine years. I've watched the cumulative effect on these kids. And, and, and they've gone through what any Christian goes through when they first get into the Lord. First of all, they talk about what the Lord expects. You know, when, when all of us are getting into the Lord, that's, a, that's the first thing we talk about. And, and, and so we talk about, okay, what, what's a pure life? What, what do I got to do? What do I got to be if I'm going to be a Christian? And, and all of that is foundational. And of course, everyone worries about, about who will love them and how do I, how do I bring Christ into my, into my dating relationships and into my peer relationships and, and all of that stuff. Of course, that's foundational. But that is foundational to every stage of spiritual development. And, I, and I've watched these kids, you know, go through the stages where they're talking about, okay, um, you know, what does this mean in my peer relationships? And, and what does it mean in my dating relationship? I need to stay sexually pure so that I can, I can, uh, uh, represent God and I can, I can, I can, uh, have the nature of Christ and so on and so forth. All of that's fine. But what a breakthrough it is as I watch these kids discover there is life beyond dating. What a breakthrough it is as I watch them say, you know, there's probably more to this Christian stuff than just staying sexually pure or establishing for myself a personal standard of morality. By the way, adults could learn this. There is life beyond romance. There is life beyond just personal standards of morality. And I watch these kids. And they are... They're kids to me, but they're getting to, I mean, they're adults spiritually. And they have come to the place, especially in the last few months, where they are congregated together, not to pick out potential girlfriends and boyfriends, but because they are experiencing genuine Christian fellowships and absolutely having a ball together. They're spending their lives together. And it is not just praying, although they pray together fervently. And it's not just learning scripture, although they do that fervently. They're doing stuff 
almost weekly on the back of a ski boat that nobody ought to be able to do without getting injured, you know. I mean, it is fun to watch these kids and the fellowship that they're having. I long for the adults to come to the place now where the kids are. But not only that, they've taken a quantum leap beyond that. They've gotten to the stage where they've said, you know, I'm tired of always being the one asking the question. I want to be the one giving the answer. I'm tired of being the one who is always... You know, talking about growing up, I want to be the grown-up. I want to be the one who turns around and mentors someone who needs me. I want to provide in my spiritual life hospitality in the spiritual sense for someone who has a need that I can provide. And so the high school boys are going to take four or five middle school boys And they're going to teach them scripture. Do you know how many middle school boys have never had a Christian role model of a high school boy? How many high school girl or middle school girls have never had a Christian role model they knew of that they knew closely that was their friend of a high school girl? Just having a friendship with a high schooler is tremendous for a middle schooler. You know how many Christian kids have never seen modeled? I'm sorry, middle school kids have never seen modeled what it is for a Christian young man to treat a Christian young woman or any woman with tremendous respect and deference because of their faith in Christ. They've just never seen it. Well, now we've got a whole gathering of kids that have decided because the Spirit has brought them to This is not a program that has been handed down by any adult. This is something the kids themselves decided they want to do because they're tired of being takers and they want to be givers. I say, I, it is great. I can't tell you. Do you know what it's, you know what it's like to know that right now, our, our kids, there's a section of kids in this church that know scriptures well enough and desire to be like Christ enough that if every adult Christian was taken out of the earth right now, the faith would go on. Because these kids are already Christian leaders giving their faith to the next generation. What a wonderful thing. And, and I see God doing that. I see Him doing it in the adult ministry centers of, of people who are, who are saying, you know what? I heard about this ministry center concept. I don't want to just come and be a taker anymore. I want to be a giver. You know, let me know when there is a group of givers in my area that I can bond and I can minister. Because God's given me enough. And even though I have an ongoing need, God's an ongoing provider. And I want to get to the next stage of my faith. I want to get to the next stage where I can can give to people what they need, no matter what sacrifice that requires. It is a tremendous privilege to watch the Spirit move in this church. Now, this is how C.S. Lewis describes it. Before C.S. Lewis described uh, or wrote the book Four Loves, in which he describes the the four Greek words for love in the New Testament and describes which... uh, meaning all of them has. Before that book, he had another more primary distinction. And the distinction was this. He said, everyone is born with a needs-based love. 
In other words, we form relationships on the basis of how well others can answer our needs. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. As we have just said, we will always be a needy people. There isn't anybody in this congregation that has their skit together. I don't have to know you to be able to tell you that. You know yourselves. You've got mirrors in your house. I've got mirrors in my house. I have needs. All of us have needs. And God built us like that so that we would be dependent on Him and somewhat dependent on each other according to His design. But we've come to the place in our culture where all I hear of the definition of love is I want someone to meet my needs. And that is the most immature form of love that there is. There's a whole nother level that the church discovered by necessity because God put a burden on them. And the level was gift love. You see, we were born to be the image of God. Does God have a needs-based love? No. God doesn't need anything. The kind of love that God has is giving love. It's a gift love. And I will guarantee you that unless you come to that level of love... See, that's what you were made for. You were made to be the image of God. You were made to resemble God. You were made to have the nature of God. And unless you come to that level of loving in your relationship, you won't stick with church or God. You know why? Because there comes a time when you get tired of saying, I need, I need, I need, it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. You weren't made for that. You were made to say, okay, I've received, now I'm going to give. Matthew 10, 28, freely you have received, freely give. That's the formula. You were made to provide for others because there is a purpose in all of the Scripture that says the reason God provides for you is so that you can provide for somebody else. That's the reason. And unless you take that on out, you will be a very frustrated individual. Even nature, even though even the parables of, of the kingdom of God, according to nature, had that in it. Many of you have heard the the. Mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that is the smallest of all seed, seeds that grows in the greatest of all bushes. And you stop right there. What is the rest of that verse? That the birds of the air may come and nest in its branches. The purpose wasn't for the bush to grow big. The purpose of the bushes growing big was to be hospitable to the birds. To house the birds. There is a purpose that every one of us has. And it's not at all bad to depend upon God for our provision. What is, what is bad is when we get the provision to say, okay, God, thanks. And pretend like that's all there is. No, God built us for something bigger than that. And you know the wonderful thing about this? The wonderful thing is that God gives us the privilege of contributing to the people of God in ways that will build the kingdom of God so that all of our life's resources aren't, isn't trickled away in some sort of, of, of triviality that fades into nothingness. You know what? There's, a, there's, only, there's only a couple of things that you can ever take 
from with you out of this world. I hope you realize by now that we all die broke. You understand that? It doesn't matter how much money you have, you die broke. Now, I realize for some of you that's going to be a financial improvement. I know that. I know that. But all of us have this thing, you know, where we just we just want to get financially secure. We want to have our, our needs met and not have to worry about it. Well, listen, you better be worrying about it because it doesn't go with you anywhere. It's dead in the water as soon as you're dead in the water. There's only two things you can really take with you. One of them is your righteous deeds. Revelation 14, 13 says, Blessed are those who die in the Lord, for their deeds do follow them. You will take that investment with you. The other thing is the relationships of other Christians. You know, when Ezra Rainwater died, Vernon says, there was a godly man who had a godly family. He will take his family with him into heaven. As a matter of fact, you know what it's like? Let me, t- let me just give you a word picture. This isn't on the subject. This is a freebie. In the Bible, it says that heaven has no time. The only time is this earth space thing that we're in for God's purposes. There's no time in heaven. There's no past, no future. God has it all. You know, let me give you a picture of what it's like when you enter into heaven and you face God in that, in that absolutely awesome wonder. And you come to the realization <laughs> that you're facing God. Then you, then you look at all the people around you. Because the bride is there. All of the people who have ever loved God are surrounded. And there's just an inkling about your family. And you turn around. You can't even turn around before your family's there. They will miss him. He will not miss them. In heaven, they're already there. I know that's impossible to understand, but that's how it goes. It's part of heaven. You take your family with you. Do you understand then that no matter what cost it is to have Christian relationships, it's not a burden. It's an investment. Because we take them with us. It is such an awesome privilege to have you know, I, I was walking through the airport with my son yesterday. He's going back to college. I never give my kids money. I mean, they're on their own. And uh, I have no idea why not. I just, I just think, you know, in your college age, you're on your own. <laughs> See you. And uh, we were walking through, and I, and I knew he, he didn't have an entirely successful summer uh, financially. Had a couple of part-time jobs, and that's only out of the goodness of a couple of brothers. Uh, give him part-time work and so on and so forth. And he had a certain amount of, you know, money to meet up to and he didn't quite get that. But he's going to be okay, you know, get him get a job like all of us did. And that's just how you do things. You know, that's that time of life. That's builds character, see? But here's this guy, you know, and, and he's broke and I know it. And so I just gave him a bunch of money, see? Never do it. Just gave him a bunch of money. 
What a tremendous... I just was so glad to do that. You know why? Because all my money just floats out into cyberspace or someplace. (laughs) I don't even know where it goes. It just leaves me, you know? I mean, my wife just writes check after check after check, you know? (sighs) You know? (laughs) Don't know... It's gone. It's gone. Don't know anything, but I, I, you know... Got enough to eat and got enough to wear, but I don't, you know, don't know where it is. (laughs) And I thought, at least with this, I'm investing in a young man who is building the kingdom of God, who I believe in, who is my family. I am so glad to be able to bless him. I enjoyed that gift more than any other. Is it costly to give? Yeah. Is it a burden? No way. It's not a burden. It's not even a burden when people are potential family. Because that too happened in these houses. There were non-believers who were potential family. And they were being provided for. You know what's happening in, in Korea right now? This is another thing that's kind of borderline on the subject. But let me tell you. In Korea right now, the largest church in the world, Paul Young Cho's church, I can't remember, I call it his church, not his church, it's God's church. What's the name of that church? Full Gospel something or other? Anybody know? Full Gospel, is it? Ha ha, all right. So like three quarters of a million people by now, right? Huge, all built on small groups. Now watch. They know something politically is about to happen with North Korea. You've read in the papers that the president of North Korea has died. His son is now uh, president of that country. There's a lot of unrest. My brother-in-law just got back from Korea. That's how I I get this word. Just got back from that church. And they know that probably sometime in the foreseeable future, the same thing is going to happen with North Korea that happened in the communist countries. They're just going to fold. There are people living in North, North Korea just in dire poverty. The, the system just won't hold up. Communism will not hold up. When those barriers drop, when that economy collapses, the same thing is going to happen that happened in those other communist countries. There's going to be a flood of North Koreans coming to South Korea. Because things are a little bit more prosperous down there, although they're not, you know, they're not in the money down there. They're still, but the, the, the economy is healthier. Well, the South Koreans know this. And they're saying to themselves, how in the world are we going to withstand this onslaught of all of these people? Every person, every family unit in that full gospel church is preparing to take in two families from North Korea. That's how that country will withstand that onslaught. And do you, can you estimate how the kingdom of God will be built because Christians decided to be hospitable to potential family members? Now, these aren't rich people. Will it cost them dearly? Absolutely. Will it be a burden? Uh-uh. No. I listen to these 
to these missionaries from our church that, that go across to other lands and, and they all come back and, and their first reaction to going on mission trips is, I can't afford it, I can't afford the time, I don't have the provision. But then they're convicted that God wants them to go and so they say, well, God, you need to provide this. You know that passage in the scripture says, and he is faithful to provide whom he has called what they need. Somebody, somebody paraphrase it like this, God's will, God's bill. Well, they ask him, and God provides, and they come back saying, I cannot believe what God did in my life as I assumed the responsibility to care for others in the Spirit. I cannot believe what my life is like, how it's different. I'm going back. (laughs) It's what they all say, I'm going back. You know? I love that. Does it cost? Yes. Is it a burden? No. Did it cost God? Is, it, is God's style of love costly? Did it cost God for us? God so loved, He gave. Notice those two synonyms. Love, giving. God so loved, He gave His only begotten Son. It cost God everything He was to save us. Will it cost us? Yes. But that's part of the glory of love. Do you understand that that you come to the place where you, where you don't want to give God anything that doesn't cost you something. You know, we've got this little American mentality that says, Oh, what all can I get for free? How can I get it the cheapest? How can I get the most for the least amount of effort? The mentality of the kingdom is exactly the opposite. They say, I don't want to get stuff for free. I'm a giver. I'm not a taker. I want... David. When, when David tried to purchase his offering... From one of his subjects, the guy says, take it, you're the king, you can have it, let me buy it, I'll, I'll buy your offering. And David said what? I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Why? Because David had come to the place where he knew what a blessing it was to give. He knew how it would stretch his entire life. And he knew what life would come to him. Because building the kingdom is building life. A life that lasts forever. Now, let me just give you, in capsule form, a, a couple little tidbits and then we'll, we'll go on. We'll, we'll worship with one more song. If you will set your mind to understanding what a privilege it is to build the kingdom, What God has given you in this place, what God has given you with these people, what God has given you in the people that he brings into your life. If you will understand, yes, people always cost. They cost financially. They cost emotionally. They cost with everything you are. People always cost. But if you will say, God, out of your nature, I will give whatever I have, what you will find is two things. First of all, you will find a life you thought was empty and drained and running on empty. You'll find yourself becoming very alive. The more you give, the more life you have. Not easy. But it's life-giving. Let me, let me tell you a story. Uh, s- s- uh, some of you have told you this before, but it's such a great story and it illustrates the point perfectly. There is an Indian convert 
by the, the name of Sadhu Singe. Sadhu Singe looked at the different major religions of the world. And he was pulled toward Jesus Christ because the religions of his country were ones that wanted to escape the suffering of, his, of the world. And he saw Christ as somebody who plunged headlong into it, who never avoided suffering, but tried to redeem from the suffering of the world, out of the love of God, tried to, tried to turn that suffering into joy. And he loved that about Jesus. And so he converted to Jesus. And he began to preach the gospel, which was not a popular thing, is still not a popular thing in India. Well, he was headed to a Buddhist monastery up in the high in the mountains one time with a, with a, with a Buddhist monk who was his guide. And they were headed up the, the trail and they got about halfway up the mountain. They were still, you know, a mile or two from this monastery. And in this part of the country, it is still like this, storms blow up very quickly as they used to in the Sea of Galilee. That's why you, you wonder why all these experienced fishermen get, fishermen get caught in storms. The geography of the country makes, makes the wind rush down over a mountain and storms blow up very uh, quickly so that even experienced sailors are caught in storms. Well, that same thing happened on this mountainside. Here was this, this tremendous blizzard that came in. And the guide turned Sadhu and, to Sadhu and he said, we've got to run because, because you know, the, the wind will rip right through these, these, these uh, clothes that we have on and we will surely freeze to death if we don't get to the monastery quickly. So they began to run. And they didn't get 20 feet off the, uh, up the trail until they, they heard this moaning off to the side, off to the side of the path. And, and they stopped and they went over and, and here was an old man who had fallen and broken his leg. Well, the monk turned to Sadhu and said, we can't stop. There's no use three of us freezing to death when only one has to die. It is his fate. It's too bad. But he will escape suffering. We must go on. Sadhu looked at him and said, I can't. I can't. Jesus wouldn't go on. I can't. So the monk hurried on ahead. Sadhu took off his outer garment, which made him even more exposed to the wind made a sling, placed the old man in that sling, turned around, put it over his shoulders, and struggled up that trail. I mean, with everything he had, it took him that much energy and that much effort to drag that old man up that hill. After what seemed like an eternity, he saw the lights of the monastery and he knew that he would make it. As he went forward, he stumbled over something in the now very deep snow. And he reached down to brush the powder off of the face of the monk who had left them, now frozen to death in the snow. And he realized that it was his struggle that saved him. It was the energy that he had put into saving that other person that now made him alive. I want to tell you that same thing is true in your life. You think you're going to be more alive by saving up your resources for yourself? You'll die. He who would keep his life will lose it. He who loses his life 
will find it. The Bible is absolutely clear about that. And I don't care what it costs, pay it. Yes, you have to have boundaries. Yes, you have to have rest. Yes, you can't save the world. Don't hide behind any of those. Do them, but don't hide behind any of them. Love costs. It always costs. It'll always cost. It's how you get life. But there's something, one more thing, even more wonderful than that. You will save more than yourself. Because there are others who look to you to see how you live. I I read a story not too long ago about a man who had flown in. It's a newspaper story. He had flown in to Rochester, uh, New York, and he had been dropped off at his place of business, and he lived just a few miles from his place of business. And he, he had been away for like a month on business and he was really anxious to see his family. And so he was, he was scurrying along, you know, down in, the, in, the, in Rochester and there's this river, Gen- the Genesee River in uh, uh, Rochester. And at this particular time of the year, uh, it was uh, flooding and, and, the, and it was, the current was very fast and, and, the, and the water was now over its banks and, and he was just focused on his family, just getting to see his family. But he saw this group of people now standing at the edge of the water, very excited. And, and he, you know how you are. You just say, well, I just got to figure out what this is. So he ran over, said, what's going on? They said, there's a boy in the water. And he just started yelling. I mean, he what are you doing standing here? He's ripping off his coat. He's ripping off his shoes. He dives in and gets his kid and pulls him out to safety. When he brushed the water out of his face, it was his own son. Let me tell you this. When you love, when it costs you, you save more than yourself. You give life to your family. The family you'll have forever. Pray with me. God, thank you for the next level of love. Thank you that we cannot long pretend that this is all about receiving what we need from you. I would just pause here to to just ask your spirit to move all over this sanctuary. And if there's anyone here who has not yet been provided with eternal life, has not turned to you to provide them with eternal life, has not realized that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, that sacrificial atonement for sins is theirs but for the asking. If they have not yet gone through that first stage of saying, God, I need, help them to say that right now. Help them to realize they can't be givers before they're receivers that it is the spiritual provision of Christ that allows us to turn around and give anything of value, anything that lasts. And so let them right now say, Jesus, I want that salvation. I want to be a part of the family. I accept your forgiveness for my sins, your payment for my sins. Please come into my heart and live there. But for the rest of us who've already prayed that prayer, God, Bump us up to the next level. 
as we see it in the youth, as we see it in some of the adults, as we see it in the missionaries who go out from here, bump us up to the level of givers. Help us to know that part of being a family is having everything in common, including finances. Help us to know that just as your spirit came, when all prayed in one accord, when all was just as concerned for the other as they were for themselves, so your life will come when we give in one accord. Thank you. Keep us together, hanging on to each other, coming toward you. We pray this in Jesus' name.